continue with prayer, and I'm so excited about this. You know, prayer is my passionate topic. If there's one topic that I'd love to minister on, it's prayer. And I've done it many times through the years, and, and you know, I've, uh, some of what you're going to hear today, may you may have heard maybe a few years ago, I think some of this I ministered as early as in the 04, 05 maybe. But, you know, the Word of God never expires, does it? It never gets old. It never, it, it never uh, gets out of use or whatever you want to say. But, but just a very, very quick review is that we learned and we established, and I, I started two weeks ago talking about intercession. And we looked at how, you know, we're called to intercede for the lost, but we're also called to intercede for the innocent. We're called to intercede for the, for the plan of God. And we're called to intercede for our own needs. And we, and we looked more at that last week. We see that, but I want you to understand prayer is a privilege. It's not a religious duty. It's a privilege that the creator of all the universe wants us to talk to him. Would it not be a privilege if, if a president or a king or a senator or a governor called you in just to say, hey, I want to know what you think about this? Wouldn't that be a privilege? They, you know, they want to know what I think about this? Or they might even say, I want to know what your needs are. What is it you need? What is it you need for me to do for you? How, do you, how can we change things? That's what God is asking us to do. So it's such a privilege. And we also see that we don't have, what we don't have, we don't have because we haven't prayed. Because in James it tells us that we don't have because we haven't asked. We don't have because we haven't asked. And I believe it's no secret that most Christians struggle with prayer. Most Christians. And I don't know if they would admit it. I, th- I asked the Lord many, many years ago. I said, God, why don't Christians want to pray? Because every pastor I've ever talked to or read about says prayer is the least attended service in church. And many times I think, well, I can just pray at home. And you can pray at home. But let me tell you, there's power in corporate prayer. Something's going to happen Friday night when we're here all night. We're planning to be here all night. And if we can be here all night, some of you younger ones can be here all night, right? But we, we are planning to be here, and we're planning to. We're expecting the heavens to change. We're expecting our city to change. We're expecting to call upon God and, and see Him do mighty things in our midst. But it's also recognizing the infinite, Im, uh, what is the word? omnipotence of God and His power that He has that nothing is too hard for Him. Our own impotence and His omnipotence. And so we have to understand that, that we're going to the one who can change anything, any need, any, any desire that we have, he can answer that prayer. If we believe that, and that's what he said, because they don't understand the power of prayer. And so if we understood that as, as we pray and as we seek God, I, I was just reading, um, uh, I think it was Francis Chan talking about how for years and years he's prayed for people to be healed. But all of a sudden now people's getting healed. Now, why didn't all of a sudden they not have to get healed now and not get healed years? I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm going to find the answer because that's a passion of mine is to find out, God, why don't things happen the way the Word of God says they should happen? And I'll say it to you just like I've said it to others. God's not the problem. God is not the problem. If we ever start to believe that He's the problem, we might as well forget it. God is not the problem. And, and we might even, I had planned to go four weeks. We may even go another week or afterwards. We've got a special service coming up March the 8th, but... But uh, I might want to talk about the hindrances to prayer. The Bible's full of reasons prayers don't get answered. And, you know, and we have, we've talked about how we grow up in a culture that we only know what we know. And this young generation has only known what they've grown up in. And so that, is it any reason sometimes they think the way they think? Not slamming them, but they think the way they think because they've never been taught any different. I also read an article recently, and we've heard this before, but that so many of the young people are leaving the church because they're tired of the, they're just tired of the games. I love that about the young people. They're, they want the real thing. They're tired of just playing religious games. Aren't you older people tired of playing religious games? Absolutely. So we established that the Bible tells us that we should always pray, and we established that prayer is talking to God, and we also established that God really does nothing unless we pray. We also establish that there's many different types of prayer. There's intercession, there's petition, there's praise, there's prayer of agreement, prayer of dedication, prayer of repentance. There's all of these different types of prayer. And we also establish that Jesus told his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, In this manner, or in this way, he says, Pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we looked at this prayer, and it's not just a a repetitious thing we do, like now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, that kind of thing we're, we're taught as children. There's nothing wrong with that if you don't pray anything else. But let's pray it from a heart of, of really touching God. But he's saying this is, this is how, this is the manner you should pray. And so we looked kind of, we just ended up last week at looking at the primary components of prayer based on Jesus' model. And let me tell you, you can, you can tear this thing apart any way you want to go. But I just made it very simple that, that Jesus' model of prayer is basically three components. It starts with praise, it ends with praise, and right in the middle is declaration. Starts with praise, end with praise, and in the middle is declaration. So praise is kind of the bookends. It's in sandwich between that are our declarations. What are we supposed to be declaring? What this word says. We're supposed to, and we're going to start today, and he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's just look first quickly at our Father in heaven. And we have to understand that, that just Jesus saying our Father presupposes a relationship with God. Just saying our Father. See, not everyone can say our Father. Terry mentioned this a moment ago. He said not everybody knows there's a good, good Father. Not everybody knows there's a good, good Father. God continues to open opportunities for us. It's incredible. And just this week we had opportunities. Now we're involved with sex trafficking victims and prostitutes in the city. We've already met our, we met our first one this past week. This person doesn't know that there's a good, good father because her father molested her all through her early years. So now I've got to go and say, well, God loves you. Yeah, right. Right. Why would God love me? My own daddy didn't love me. You see, so we, it's our message, and like you say, we experience the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not a bunch of rules and rituals, right? It's the goodness of God that brings, and so we portray to them the goodness of the loving Father, acceptance, acceptance. So it presupposes a relationship with God, but you all know this as well as I do, that relationship exists only as we are in Christ. There is no other way to the Father. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to me or to the Father except through me. So all these other religions that say there's many different roads to God, that's, that's the spirit of lying and antichrist, right? Anything that denies that Jesus is the only Son of God and the way to God is the spirit of antichrist. So that is a lying spirit. When I don't care who says it on TV, it's a lying spirit. And what they're trying to do is to get you to believe something that's not truth so you will not end up where God wants you to end up. And that's in relationship with him. I love this scripture in Colossians. In verse 2, 2, uh, 2, 9 through 10, it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So Jesus was the fullness of God in bodily form. Okay, that's wonderful, right? Christ lived 2,000 years ago. But listen to this. So you are also complete. Through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So not only Christ has the fullness of God, we have the fullness of God as we are in union with him. Do we even comprehend what that means? That we have the fullness of God in our life. The fullness of the Godhead in this bodily form. That we have all, we have all potential. We can do all, that's why he says you can do all things through Christ. But see, if we don't understand, number one, if we're not in relationship with God, that's not ours. We can, we can think it is. Or we can say, well, you know, I go to church, but are we in relationship? A lot of people go to church and aren't in relationship. I'm, I, I know all of you guys, but I'm in relationship with him, right? You're in relationship with your spouse. We're, we're in a level of relationship with friends, but we might know people. We might go to church with people. We might work with people. But are we really intimately involved with their cares and their needs? Do we care when they call us at 2 in the morning? about a need they have, or three in the morning. Because we're in relationship, that door is open. You know, God's... <laughs> he, I was thinking the other week, my granddaughter called us at two about one of her friends who's in a domestic violence situation. I thought, God, your door is never closed. You, you know, the, I thought about the word that says you neither slumber nor sleep. Well, I found that grandparents don't either. <laughs> grandparents don't either slumber or sleep either. Maybe more so than moms and dads. John 14, 23 says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. That's relationship, right? That's in Christ. My Father will then love them, and we will come and make our home with each one of them. Do you see? We could go on. We could do a whole entire uh, session, sermon on this very aspect right here, being in relationship with God. So prayer is based on relationship that comes only through our relationship with Christ that is found only through salvation. 
that we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, and we declare that he is Lord. But the enemy wants to distort that view. The enemy does not want us to believe that God, that, that God is who he says he is. And it started in the garden with Satan. What did he do? He tried to discredit God to Eve by God didn't really tell you that. He made her think that God was holding out on her. And see, that's what the devil wants you to think, that there's something better for you, that the world has something to offer that God can't give you. Isn't that a lie? I'm telling you, there's nothing the world has to offer that can compare to what God has. How many of you have experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding? Haven't we? Yeah, I love what Joyce Meyer, I don't, know if she, I don't listen to her so much, but I mean, she's great. I just don't listen to anybody really so much, except I try to spend my time in here. But she used to say, there's no high like the most high. Anybody that's ever had a natural high and then had the high of the Lord, you know there's no high like the most high, right? And that is absolutely the truth. But many people do not understand the love and the, the nature of God the Father because they transfer the image of God or the image of their earthly abusive father, just as this girl I was telling you about, onto the face of God. And so flip over one other slide, and I'm going to just skip through that next one a moment. And if you've been in our Luke 4.18, you've seen this slide, but, but we, we put upon the image of God the image of our Father. You know, and, and if you saw in the heart of man, and the writer of the shack said that it took him 50 years to get the image of his Father off the face of God, or the face of his Father off the face of God because he'd gone through abuse and neglect or whatever all he went through. And so many times as we seek God, we tend to look through the lens of our earthly father. And so if we had an earthly father that was angry or bitter or not dependable or or had done things that hurt us and, and he was unforgiving or we were unforgiving, we tend to look through that lens and we see a God the same way. So many people, just as I was talking, there's many, many people that are saying, why do I want a relationship with God? I've never had a father, number one, or I've never had a father that really showed me that I would want a relationship. Maybe the father abandoned you. Maybe the father abused you. you know, maybe, the, maybe the father was a default father. He was there, but he wasn't really there. You know, there's lots of reasons why people can put a false image on the face of God. So then we respond to God the same way we respond to our own fathers. And many times people can't get away from their earthly father enough so they have a hard time running to, to God. Sometimes it's the opposite. If they really haven't encountered, because see, it, it takes that revelation of Holy Spirit to tell us really what God the Father is really all about. We can't understand who he is without the revelation of the Holy Spirit, opening up our heart and opening up our understanding. We have to believe that God really wants to have intimacy with us. And let's go back to that previous one now. I had them out of order, I guess. Let me read 1 John 16, 17, excuse me, 16, 27. This is out of the Amplified. Listen to this. For the Father himself tenderly loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from the Father. He says, the Father tenderly loves you. Now, here again, we're back to this choice. Do I believe the Word or do I believe what my experiences have told me? The Word of God says He tenderly loves you. Jesus said it. If you don't believe that, you've got to throw everything else in the book out. God tenderly loves you. And let me tell you, there's, you know, there are some techniques of, of inner healing where people will take you back to the place of wounding and they'll ask you, what was Jesus doing? And some people say they got healed there and others, I don't know, that's between you and God. But let me tell you something. God was, if, if God, God was always there where you were abused or hurt or disappointed or rejected or, or denied whatever was a necessity in life. But let me tell you something. I believe God wept far louder than you could ever weep. I believe the tears of the Father. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing one of your children being abused or hurt? How it would tear your heart out. It's the, it's the good, good father that was present in that situation. I'm going to give you a dog story. It just happened this morning. You know, we have Callie who was, who was a rescue, and we have Molly who's been with us from the beginning, you know, like Jesus. In the beginning, she was there. Callie this morning got a little sick on her tummy, and she threw up. It scared her because she thought she had done something wrong, and she goes and runs away from us. Because she doesn't yet, as much as she knows we love her, we've had her one year as of yesterday, as much as she knows we love her, she still hasn't gotten the image of whatever she went through before out of her little brain. And I think sometimes, I wish I knew what she'd been through, but I think I'd go after somebody from the stuff I've already heard. 
Now, Molly, on the other hand, was running after her, trying to console her because she knew that she was upset. But see, if it's, if it's that way in an animal kingdom, how much more is it in a, in a human kingdom, so to speak? If an animal can bear the, the pain and the memories of, of abuse and neglect, how much more can a human bear that abuse, those memories? And I'm going to tell you, God wants to heal your memories today. He can't undo what happened. No one can. But what he can do is he can heal the repercussions of those things. He can heal that that's still affecting your future. So whatever you've been through, I just want you to know, God wept bitterly over the situation. Whatever you experienced, God wept bitterly over that. God wept. This is, this is the price God paid for giving humankind their choice. This is the price he paid. He chose willingly to give us a choice. And he knew, he had to know that this was going to come or could come. He's a good, good father. He's an incredible father. So, Lord, we just thank you, Father. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, as you begin to move through the people's hearts and minds. God, I know there's some in here that's been abused and neglected, maybe molested, I don't know, maybe lied to, maybe cheated, maybe just thrown to the curb by their father, their mother, others, Lord, spouses. Father, I just pray, Lord, in in the goodness of your heart that you'd even begin a healing right now with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that you would show and reveal to your people the incredible love, the tender love that the Father has for your people, for his people, Lord. And God, none of this was his plan. None of this, his plan was was for perfection. His plan was for goodness. His plan was for happiness and peace. And man distorted that plan. And God has given us the opportunity to come back into his presence and to recapture those times of that relationship with him to understand and to experience the incredible love of the Father. Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So God desires a relationship of intimacy. Matthew 6 6, 6 says, this is how God, you know, we think about intimacy as very private, right? Very private. When you, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you don't have to, I love what Pastor Robbins used to say, don't tell everything you know. You don't have to tell everything you know, but you can tell God everything you know. You can tell God everything. You can tell him, God, I'm not feeling, this is hurting. I can remember Monday getting ready to go in. I think, God, this is not what I expected. I wanted a miracle in my knee so I didn't have to go through all this junk. You know, I'm, I'm never, I'm not, I haven't had surgery in 20-some years, and I'm the type of person, just, you know, I just go through life, and I can do it, and I don't need anybody to help me, Right? But you know what? God says sometimes we just need to understand we need him. And and sometimes we might have the plan, but God has the right answer for whatever reason. For whatever. And we'll understand what those all are at one point, at some point. But he says, go into that private room and just, have you ever just had it out with God? Yeah. God, I don't understand this. And why are they doing this? Why are they, look how I've loved them. Look what they've done. They're lying. They're cheating. They're doing everything they shouldn't be doing. Then they're telling everybody about it. You've ever had that happen to you? That'll mess you up, especially if the other part's a believer, right? And we, but, you know, we need to take that to God and not take it to the, everybody else. That, you know, we want to tell our story, don't we? Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That, here again, that sense of intimacy. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Just picture yourself under the wings of, a, of, of an eagle or wings of a bird. That's how we are with God. He just wants to take, and, and, and that's the way I felt Monday. I just felt like I was under the wings of God and, and never wasn't even putting all this together. Just an incredible presence. John 16 says, for the, I just read this, for the Father himself tenderly loves you. John 14 says, those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father. So we see it's all about our relationship with Christ. As we're in relationship with Christ, we're in relationship with the Father. And I will passionately love you in return and will manifest my life within you. You know, God desires relationship, but I think David even had a hard time with understanding this. Remember, let me read Psalms 8. It says, this is out of the Amplified. It says, when I view and consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained and established, what are we that you'd even think about us? David even had a hard time thinking about it. He said, the son of earth, more man that you care for him, yet you made us just a little lower than God. 
And it says, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him have dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Let me, let me read this out of the Passion. It says, look at the splendor of your skies. Your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and your stars, mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But when I look up and see such wonder and workmanship above, I have to ask you this question. Compared to all this cosmic glory, why would you bother with puny, mortal man or be infatuated with Adam's sons? Yet what honor you have given to men, created only a little lower than Elohim, God, crowned like kings and queens with glory and magnificence. Listen to this. You have delegated to them mastery over all you have made making everything subservient to their authority, placing earth itself, listen to this, at the feet of your image bearers. Does that not just, does it show you how God thinks about you? What he thinks about every single one of us? And you know, whether you're, whether you're some big deal in a church or whether you're just somebody on the street, God, that didn't change anything that God has, didn't change this at all. The man on the street is the image bearer of God. That prostitute, that trafficker, the John is, is, is created in the image of God. What are we that God would care so much for us? But God chose to do it. And we do not even understand the love of God unless we can understand the love he has for us. We cannot receive his love unless we understand his nature. And, you know, I think the one thing that God has done to reveal himself to us is to give us his name. He reveals his character through, our, through his name. And you should have a handout. You should have, there's, there's actually this little brochure. You can fold it, but it's basically the last two weeks' messages in a brochure format. But it also has some of the compound. These are the ones I pray all the time right here. Those are my favorites because I think they kind of cover it all. And then there's some other names on there for you to pray. And, and you know, as, as we, and we'll talk about this in more detail, but, and then there's this sheet here, the names of God. I think I got this from Marilyn Hickey. I should have put that on there, I think. I'm not sure. Somebody. Anyway, but, you know, you can do a lot of research on the names. Or you can just go through your scripture. Just, I have Bible software. I can just Google through my scripture or, or search through my scripture, a software. And Jehovah Jireh, and it brings up everywhere that it's used. So use these tools that, that God has made available to us, right? Okay, so, so God has revealed his character to us through his written word, and his word has tell, tells us that his name is hallowed and it's holy. Jesus says, our Father, that we're in relationship, hallowed, holy, set apart is your name. So let's just look at how God has revealed himself to us. Well, first of all, let me just, let me just tell you the difference between a name and a title. There's a big difference between a name and a title. You can say so-and-so is the pastor of Impact Church. That tells you nothing about me, right? But when you get to know me, when you get in a relationship with me, you begin to understand my character, then the, the name Donna is going to mean more to you than the title pastor, right? Or, or president or congressman or senator or whatever, right? So the difference between a title and a name, God, Lord, or Lord Almighty, or titles, Lord of Lords. In Scripture, a name is more than a label. A name is an identifier, it's an exactness of who someone is. Remember when God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Remember that? He changed Jacob's name to Israel. Remember when he talked about Nabal being the fool and, and Jabez talked about pain. And so people were named based on the character that they had. So God's name reveals his characteristics, who he is, what he does, and what he is. And this is out of uh, a, a scholar T.E. McCombsky. And he says, a blessing is lost when no attention is paid to the difference in usage of a title and the actual name of God. So if you only know God as God, you are Lord, God, you are King of kings, you're almighty God, that's one thing. But, but when you know him as Jehovah Jireh, that's, that's an intimacy. When you know him as Jehovah Shalom, you've experienced the peace. So the name actually gives us an experience with God that we can, that we can actually enjoy and that we can have every day in our life. And that's why God tells us this. Psalm 9.10 says, Those who know your name trust in you. O Lord, you do not abandon those who search for you. Let me tell you, if you're in need of healing, you better be pursuing Jehovah Rapha. If you're in need of provision, you need to be pursuing Jehovah Jireh. 
It's one thing that God, you're God Almighty, yes, but God, in this specific need, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah, I'm, I'm, Lord, I need peace. You're Jehovah Shalom. So we need to pursue the God of, of that, that characteristic, that character that God has within him. I love this scripture right here. John uh, Jeremiah 9, 24 says, I love this. Listen to this carefully. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me how personally and practically, directly discerning and recognizing my character. How we do that through his name. That I am the Lord who practices loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. He says, I want, he said, don't brag in your strength, your, your riches or any, your ability. He says, you boast in one thing that you know me, that you understand my character. And how do we prove that we understand God's character? When I'm in need, I go to Jehovah Jireh. When I'm in need, I go to Jehovah Rapha. When I'm in need of peace, I go to Jehovah Shalom because I understand that character about him. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. What? The godly run to him and are safe. How? In the name. In the name. Quickly, we also see that God's covenant is established on his name. 1 Samuel 12.22 says, The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. See, when God, dis, when God if, you, if God would abandon us, which he never would, then the world would have reason to laugh at us and laugh at God, wouldn't they? And how many times did they say to the nation, where's this God you've been talking about? Where's this God who's supposed to be bringing deliverance? Where's the God who's supposed to be your healer? How many times do they say, God, God, that dishonors God when we do not run to his name? Psalm 23, 3 says, he restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. Not so you'll feel better. It's for his name's sake. Ezekiel 20, 14 says, But I acted for the sake of my name. I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. Do we understand this, that God wants to honor his word? It brings God glory to honor his word in our life. It brings God glory to bring deliverance in our lives. It brings God's glory to heal. But if the thing is, we have to understand that only comes in relationship with Christ. You know, it's, it's kind of alarming uh, when you, I read and, and believe this to be true, both Billy Graham and uh, D. James Kennedy said this. They asked D. James Kennedy, how many people do you think are actually born again in your church? He said probably less than 50%. Later he said maybe less than 15, I believe it was. Billy Graham said how many people are still serving God so many years after they come to the altar? Maybe 5%, maybe. That's probably high. Why? Because they really didn't have relationship. See, that's why it can tell us in First John, if you enjoy sinning, you've never known him. If you enjoy sinning, you've never known him. If you're comfortable in your sin, you've never known him. Because you can't know God and ever be, di- be the same again. You have to be different. You can't come to this altar or wherever you're in your seat and receive Christ and ever be the same again. This can't happen. That's why we should, our life should shift, right? should shift 180 degrees. When we say, we, I've made Jesus Lord of my life, then our life should shift 180 degrees. So God's covenant is with his people, and his name is the contract that the covenant is based on. That's his guarantee with us is his name. So I believe, you know, I, this is just me. Now you can, this is, I just believe this. When we pray the name of God, we activate his angels. I believe that. When we pray the name of God, we activate his... Why do you believe that, Donna? Psalm 103.20 tells me. This is the passion. So bless the Lord, all his messengers, his angels of power. For you are his mighty heroes who listen intently to the voice of his word to do it. So when we're saying, God, you are my Jehovah Shalom, I believe the angels of God get activated. And they go and they move to, make, to move things out of our life, to create situations where peace can be an option. Or I believe when we say, God, you're my Jehovah Rapha. I believe the angels of God go forward. And like I said, we may not always get a miracle, but you know what we're going to get is a plan. God brings a plan, which many times is much more beneficial than a miracle. Amen? And I believe it. Exodus 3.13, when, when the Lord told Moses, I want you to go to Aaron and all these people and tell them that I'm sending you. He said, but who am I going to say is there? 
Who am I going to say or you are? Who, what is your name? He said, tell him, I am that I am. I am who I am. And I am is the Jehovah Rapha. He's the Jehovah Jireh. He's all things that he says about him, his, his name, his, his character. And he said, this is my eternal name to remember for all generations. This is my eternal, I am that I am. I am who I am. And who is God? I am the healer. I am the deliverer. I am the provision. I am whatever you need. I am who I am, and this is my name for eternity. So whatever you need today, I want you to know God is who he is. And whatever you need today, God has much, much ability, availability, and desire to fill that need in your life because he tenderly loves you. Because he tenderly loves you. But remember, sometimes we have plans, but God has the right answer, right? Our ways are not always God's ways, right? Is that right? We were talking this morning about that. I said, you know, back in 03 when we started Genesis, Terry was going to open it as a business. Nothing happened. Everywhere we went, the door got just slammed in our face. We thought, well, we're not supposed to do this. And then we went on a fast and we said, let's just do this as a ministry. Pow, doors started slinging open right and left. Because why? See, we had a plan, but God had the right answer. God wasn't interested in, in making money as a business. God was interested in touching people's lives. God was interested in getting to the... Because he saw 18 years down the road where we're going to be talking to prostitutes and traffic victims and, and Johns and all these other people. See, that's what he cared about. It wasn't a money decision for God at all, right? It's a people decision. And God does everything for the benefit of people, I believe. So just a couple of... few. I, I think I have eight names on here, my, my favorites. Okay, the first is Jehovah Jireh. And we saw that that appeared first in the Old Testament in Genesis when Abraham you know, was, had slain uh, Isaac and God provided the ram and, and all this. But let me just read this to you. This is from uh, the titles of Jehovah. And I think this is very important. And you might get the notes. The notes are up on the, on the webcast. Get the notes. But this is very important to understand this. It says, with God... To see is also to foresee. You see what I'm saying? To see is also to foresee. As the one who possesses eternal wisdom and knowledge, he knows the end from the beginning. From eternity to eternity, he foresees everything. See, this is why Jesus says that, that we don't have any reason to ask God because God knows what we need. I mean, God knows, but he does say we have to ask. See, asking releases the prevision. And so, as Jehovah, excuse me, thus with God foreseeing is prevision. See, I see, I see Deborah, that's vision. But if I had been in prayer this morning and seen her sitting in this chair, which I've experienced and you have too, that would have been prevision, right? God precedes everything that happens in our life. That's very important. Brenda Rock has a testimony I want to give later if she's ready about. And it, uh, something that happened where there was a vision given, maybe at the end, okay? It says, as, listen to this, as the Jehovah of righteousness and holiness and as of love and redemption, having prevision of man's sin, fall, and need. Remember in Genesis 3.15, he had prevision for the need for a Savior. Remember that? Well, at that point in time, that provision for the prevision had already happened. See, whatever you have coming next week, the prevision, God sees it, the provision is already there. That makes sense? Okay. For provision, after all, is merely a compound of two Latin words meaning to see beforehand. And we may learn from a dictionary that provide is simply the verb and prevision the noun of seeing beforehand. Thus, to God, prevision is necessarily followed by provision. And for he certainly will provide for that need which his foreseeing shows him, which his foreseeing shows him to exist. With his prevision and provision are one and the one same thing. Does that make sense? Let me tell you, in 1996, God pre-saw in 97 I was going to have to have a radical mastectomy on one side. He saw that. I didn't see it. He saw it. That was prevision. He began that very month in April, and he began to provide for us a plan. We didn't, had no idea what was going to happen. I was in a, on an airplane in, in uh, Trent, New Jersey, and he starts dealing with, I was, I was on my way to get on the airplane. He starts telling me, go find a bookstore, and you've heard this story. 
Okay, so I'm thinking, God, I don't even, I mean, you know, I really only know how to get to the airport. But it was so strong in my spirit. I get off and end up at Princeton University, you know, and, and I go into this Borders Books, and all I knew was it had to do with nutrition. And so I see one book on the shelf. See, God was pre- providing what he had prevision for. And so I bought the book. We brought it home, and I totally changed. We both changed our diet just like that, just like that. One year later, from April to June, still, you know, nothing, knowing nothing's going on, we totally changed our diet. June diagnosed with five-centimeter breast tumor. Okay. My doctor said, required surgery, but my doctor said because of the change in your diet, this thing has been kind of captured and it has not spread anywhere else in the body, and we don't need to do any other treatment. The oncologist said, the only place I expect to see you is in, the, in Walmart. He said, I, he said, it doesn't require it because, but she said, I believe it was because of the change in your diet that was made a year earlier, because of the changes we made. I mean, it's pretty dramatic. But see, God's prevision, then he provided his provision because he knew what was going to happen a year later. Well, why didn't God just zap out that toe? I have no idea, and I'll know one day. But you know what? I'm telling you, the things that I learned in that experience was incredible. They're priceless. But let me tell you, whatever you're going to be going through next week, God has prevision for, but he also has provision. So who do we look to? Do we look to God, or do we look to our own ways? We look to God. God, I, I mean, you know, we, we don't know what the, what the answer is. How many of you have experienced some trauma and you said, gosh, it's just like God's presence was there. God, God had prevision of it, but he also had provision for it, right? So it's in our relationship with God that God's prevision is always ready for release. Prayer releases the prevision of God. The Lord told me that this morning. He says, your prayer releases my prevision. Provision for the prevision. Prayer will release the provision for the prevision. We have not because we ask not. And Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. Prayer releases the provision for the prevision. That'll preach, won't it? Okay. That's one. Jehovah Nissi. That's another one. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my refuge. We already said in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is our refuge and our fortress, and the godly run into it and are safe. Nisi means banner or to flee for refuge. It also means a pole with an insignia attached. And nations would fly their banners for encouragement, much like the flags today. Exodus 17.15 and 16 says, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. We carry the name of the Lord like we would a banner or a flag. Let me tell you, when the devil looks at you, he should see your insignia. He should see your flag waving. He should know this person's off territory for me. This person cannot, I cannot go near this person because she's, she and he's carrying the banner of the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens to us, we still wave the banner high, don't we? God is my refuge. He's my fortress. I run to him. I'm safe in this situation. And the, and the enemy knows that we are also known by the name of the Lord. Jehovah Shalom. We've talked about this so much, I'm just going to briefly go through it. Jehovah Shalom. It appears 70 times, and it, and it means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, health, prosperity, all of that that you know that it means. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that he will keep us in perfect peace. Shalom, Shalom. How many of us, when we need that peace, that it seems like is impossible, God says, I see you're going to need the peace. The provision is there. I'm Jehovah. But what do we have to run to the name of the Lord? That's where we find refuge. That see, the enemy can't bother you. And during this time in 1997, when I was going through this surgery, two years before we had uh, uh, Wilbur, what's his name? The Jewish guy that's so popular today. Uh, Paul Wilbur. He was in this church. And I, for the one time, I volunteered to keep the nursery, which I don't ever do, never did much before, but I'm just, oh, I'm not in all this stuff, you know, so I just went and kept the nursery. Well, I bought a CD. That was a couple of years before. In 97, I think I opened the CD. And in that CD was a song called In Your Presence. In Your Presence. I I played that song, I bet, 10,000 times from June to probably September. In Your Presence, there's peace. In Your Presence. See, the enemy can't touch you when you're in his presence. 
doesn't matter what's going on around. That's why Psalm 91 can say, a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your It's not coming near me because I'm in the shadow of the Almighty. I've got that, that place of peace, that place of presence. God is so incredibly wonderful. Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Here's, here's another one. This is out of the names of God by Nathan Stone. By the way, the word Rohi means to associate with the pasture, to cherish a friend or companion. A friend or companion. Every one of you are called to be shepherds, by the way. You're called to shepherd the person on your job. You're called to shepherd your family. You're called to shepherd whoever you're mentoring. You're called to be a shepherd. And too often we shepherds don't smell like the sheep. If you read the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It's one of the great classics. But one of the things he says is he says, a real shepherd always smells like their sheep. How many pastors smell like their sheep? How many are untouchables? That's not real shepherds. But it says here, it says, everything that the shepherd is to the sheep, Jehovah is to his people. If there can exist such a tender intimacy between a man and a sheep, how much more so between Jehovah and the spirits, the people he has created and redeemed? And what a marvelous thing that God should offer himself for such a relationship. He has said, I will dwell among the children of Israel. And the word dwell is the word Shekinah. We've heard about the Shekinah glory. See, I think we experience the Shekinah glory in here. This, I love it. I just can't wait till I'm more than just a slobbering mess and I'm on the floor and can't get up. That's what I'm looking for by God's will. And he said, he may be as intimately known as a shepherd is of the... Sh- is of the sheep, the intimacy of the shepherd is the most precious privilege and possession of the sheep. And this is the Lord's people, as his sheep should cultivate in joy. But it comes only, listen to this, by long and constant association and abiding in his presence. Intimacy, relationship. We don't, we don't develop that relationship by just showing up on Sunday morning. We don't develop that relationship. Sunday morning is not enough. Sunday morning we come together and we fellowship and we rejoice and we enjoy each other and we enjoy God. But I'm telling you the most important thing, if you only talk to your husband or your wife when you came to church on Sunday morning, your relationship would be in pretty bad shape, right? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes is the right answer. Or your friends. You say, oh, you're my best friend, but I only see you on Sunday morning for 15 minutes before church. We're not best friends, right? Do we fellowship? Do we seek out time? Do we spend time with the person? Do we care if they're hurting? Do we, do we really love them? And that's how God is. He, he's, he's begging for us just to spend time in his presence. I tell you, when you awake at 2 and 3 in the morning and you feel that urge to get up, that's God nudging saying, we need to talk. It might be God telling you something that's going to save a life or change something in your future or change a situation, Right? Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And that's, he never leaves, he never forsakes. God's comforting promise and the pledge to complete the work he began in us at creation. Ezekiel 48 says, the distance around the entire city will be six miles. And from that day, the name of that city will be the Lord is there. You know, in, in Chronicles, when, when um, uh, Solomon was dedicating the temple, he said, I've chosen to put my name there. See, God has chosen to put his name here. How do I know? Because his presence is here. And we honor that presence. We honor that. We protect that presence, right? So it's very important. The Lord is always there. Remember prevision? The Lord is always watching. Oh, I wonder what a vet's going to need. Let me see what she's going to need next week. She's going to need in three weeks. She knows what you're gonna need. He knows what you're going to need in a month or a year. And he's making provision for the prevision. Jehovah Rapha, we talk about this a lot. The Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. We know that means to restore, to heal, to make one helpful. And sometimes healing is not always a miracle, is it? Sometimes it's resting, you know? Sometimes it's (laughs) getting off your feet, putting an ice pack on your knee, right? Sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes it's believing that maybe you might need a little help along the way and you can't do, you're not the superman or the superwoman you think you are. Sometimes it's God just saying you need to slow down. Even Jesus took time to rest, right? 
uh, Exodus 15, 26, and there's so many references. We could just, and, and there, I think there's some on here. There's many references. It says, if you would listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, listen carefully, you need to change your eating habits. Listen carefully, you need to start resting. Listen carefully, don't get caught up in this stuff. Don't worry about what so-and-so says. You listen carefully. He says, and do what is right, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees. Then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's all what precluded by listening carefully, doing what is right, obeying his command and keeping his decrees. So this right here tells us why we may have some hindrances to healing. Right? And Psalm 103 says, The Lord forgives all our iniquities who heals all of your diseases. See, God's people say, Well, God doesn't heal everybody. No, God's made provision for everybody's healing through the blood of Jesus or the stripes on his back. But do we walk in disobedience? Isaiah 30, 26 says, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of the seven days and the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of the people and heals the wounds. Inflicted. Let me tell you, every one of you, I prayed a moment ago for you, that's been inflicted by wounds from the past, God has healed them. You need to go to God. If you're still struggling with issues from the past, he's your Jehovah Shalom. He's your Jehovah Shammah. He's there. If you're still struggling with, with issues from the past, if you, if you still need that place to run to, God is there. He's still, he's still doing that. He's still, he's still present for you. He's that refuge, that banner for you. Jeremiah 3.22 says, Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. 30 verse 17 says, I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. See, they may have, your dad may have rejected you, your mom may have mistreated you. We hear horrendous stories, and I know you've heard them too. Horrendous stories. But let me tell you, because someone has outcast you, God still says, I'm there to heal your wound. I'm here every blow I can heal. Jehovah Sidkenu. This is another, this is something we need to understand. He's our righteousness. See, you've been declared righteous. Don't think you have to be righteous. You've been declared righteous. By, by taking on Christ, you're going to walk in righteousness. See, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you, don't turn this way, turn that way. God's going to help you to walk in the righteousness of Christ. But he has assigned this to you. You've been declared righteous. Well, what about what I did? It doesn't matter. He's he's assigned you as righteous. He has said that you are righteous, Wayne. You are righteous, Deborah. You're righteous, Ivan. Well, I know what I did. No, he has assigned. he He has declared you to be righteous. And then he wants to help you walk in that righteousness because he's a loving, tender father. So that word sidkenu means stiff or straight or righteous. It's used two times and both in Jeremiah after Israel's rejection of the one true God. It says, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel dwells securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. Now listen, this was after they had turned away from God and were in idolatry. He says, this is the name they're going to be called the Lord is our righteousness. So you say, well, I've done this. God says, after you've done all this, I'm calling you as my righteous. Isn't God awesome? And God promises us that righteousness will come through the righteous branch Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, listen, I love this scripture. It kind of brings it all together. Because of who? Because of God, you're in Christ Jesus. Because he so tenderly loved you, you are now in Christ Jesus. Who became for us the wisdom of God. Remember, we have the fullness of the Godhead in us. Because you're in relationship with God, you now have wisdom from God. You now have the righteousness of God. You now have the sanctification. You've been redeemed. See, that, that's an identity issue that people don't have. People struggle with their identities because they've been called every other name in the book, so they believe what people call them. But God says, this is what God calls you. Righteous, sanctified, wise, pure, holy, set apart. Doesn't matter what your mom, your dad, or your neighbor, or your co-worker, or your husband, or your wife, doesn't matter what they called you, this is what God says you are. Who are we going to believe? Whose report are we going to believe? Right. And finally, Jehovah Makedish, the Lord who makes holy or sanctifies. You know, you have been set apart. You have been distinguished. God has, he says, you are such a valuable object of my love and affection. 
And Leviticus 20, verse 7 says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them, and I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, I want you to listen. This is another one out of the names of God. This is very important to understand this. When we talk about holiness, the word in and of itself just simply means set apart. So you could be set apart for disaster. You could be set apart for evil. But God says, I'm setting you apart because we're going to take on his character, right? Because we have God within us. So it's very important to understand that we have been set apart by the holiness of God. It says, it, the holiness, is the balance of all the attributes of God. Listen to this carefully. It's the balance of all the attributes. Power without holiness would degenerate into cruelty. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So absolute, that's why the word says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice because they have righteous authority. And when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Because there is no holiness there. So it says when power without holiness would degenerate into cruelty, omniscience without holiness would become craft. Justice without holiness would degenerate into revenge. And goodness without holiness would be passionate and intemperate fondness doing mischief rather than accomplishing good. It is this holiness which gives to God grandeur and majesty, and more than anything else, constitutes his fullness and his perfection. That's powerful if we understand this. It's the holiness of God that balances out every other attribute that God has. And it's not just something that's set apart, but we're just set apart for anything. We are set apart for the purposes of God. We are set apart to be like him. We are set apart to be his image bearer. We are his image bearer. And he is the one who makes us holy. And it's his holiness that we seek and not the world's character. Just a minute. It's his holiness that we seek and not the world's character. And we have to understand that. We have to understand it's God we go. It's he that we want to look like. And this is the biggest issue in the church is when the church wants to look like the world. Instead of going after God, we go after the character of the world. We go after the character of the world. But God says, I want you to be like me. He says, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. Amen.